0: The case is submitted. We'll hear argument next to number 901141, Rafi Rafi Artistani versus the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Mr. Salwa, you may proceed.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, this case addresses the applicability of the Equal Access to Justice Act, or the EJA, to deportation hearings before an immigration judge. More particularly, this case deals with 5 USC section 504 that prong of the EJA that applies to administrative proceedings in those proceedings in order to be eligible for EJA fees the government must be represented by counsel in this case the government the immigration service was represented by their trial counsel in addition it is required that the statute say that the, that this proceeding be determined it must be determined on the record. That is the case here. And in addition, the position of the government must be not even substantially justified. Here, the Immigration Service produced no evidence at all in support of its position. The Egypt was enacted to further specific purposes. One was to aid victims, to help avoid the situation where someone might have to surrender their rights and succumbed to unjustified government action just because of the expense of hiring an attorney. Mrs. Ardistani's petition for asylum <clears throat> was wrongfully denied, and she was unjustifiably placed in deportation proceedings, proceedings so complex and with consequences so harsh that it was necessary for her to engage an attorney. Another specific purpose of the Eja statute is to deter unjustified government action and that's done by holding the agency itself accountable. The service did not dispute the Secretary of State's determination that Mrs. Ardistani had a well-founded fear of persecution were she to be returned to Iran under the Khomeini regime. Instead, the service unwarrantedly asserted that Mrs. Ardistani had firmly resettled in a third country. They asserted that even though she had been in a third country for only three days,
0: Staying we're out. really not. Those are really quite peripheral facts, aren't they, Mr. What we're talking about here is whether a deportation proceeding is an adjudication under Section 554 for purposes of the EAJA.
1: That's correct, Mr. Chief Justice. The EAJA provides broadly for protection for people who have been subjected to severe agency misconduct, and of all the possible government agencies. And of all the possible agency proceedings, deportation proceedings are the ones that most specifically meet the EJA context. They're the ones where the most harsh consequences meted out by any agency are meted out. Consequences that may be the tantamount to banishment or exile, or in the words of Justice Brandeis, the loss of life and property and all that makes life worth living. This is particularly so in the context of asylum, where, as here, it had been determined that the refugee would be subjected to persecution. Moreover, persons and deportation proceedings are the very people for whom the remedial measures of the IJ most, most perfectly are met. Mr. Solow, I, I mean, that, that's all... Uh,
2: yes, I mean, it, it's very sympathetic, but the fact is, even in criminal trials, when, when someone is Wrongly prosecuted, and it turns out there was no basis for the prosecution. Egypt does not reimburse the wrongfully prosecuted criminal defendant, although he may have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on his defense. He's not reimbursed, is he?
1: That's correct, Your Honor.
2: So, you know, we're here to read this statute. Is this one of those instances that's reimbursed or one that isn't? Uh, there, there are some very touching situations that are not reimbursed. This may be one of them. Can, can we talk about the statute?
1: Yes, Your Honor. Good. What does it say? This statute says that adversary adjudications, that is the adjudications for which EJA applies, are those that are under Section 554. Under Section 554 is a term that has that's been the focus of the various circuit courts, and it's a term upon which the uh, majority and the dissent in the court below focused. It's an ordinary, common preposition. It's a word with perhaps as many as 25 meanings as a preposition. In order for this Court to properly glean the correct meaning of the definition under Section 554, it's necessary for this Court to look at the entire statutory scheme. This Court has held that interpretation of a, of a a statute is not an inert exercise in grammatical or literary composition. Instead, we have to look at what was the Aegis statute about. And Justice Scalia, I think it's important to understand the the, the way that deportation hearings are precisely those that fit that, that statutory scheme. Under Section 554, those words are, are merely cross-reference to the definitional provisions in Section 554. It merely means that Congress was cross-referencing and importing into the statute the definition in Section 554. That definition requires – that definition provides that a statute must require that the hearing be determined on the record. In addition, there are six express exemptions none of which, arguably, are involved in this case. Confronted by a foreign language, confronted by the the, um, most harsh consequences meted out, confronted by a strange culture where the necessity of having a lawyer be involved are at its apex, deportation proceedings are most precisely in concert with the Egypt provisions I,
2: I don't know maybe maybe they, maybe they more resemble in fact some of our opinions have said that they that they and, and we've accorded uh, some protections that are otherwise accordable in criminal proceedings I mean we've analogized them on occasion being being deported uh, uh, to criminal proceedings and if they're anal- analogized to that rather than uh, rather than other 554 proceedings, then there'd be no, no compensation. I don't, I
1: don't. Your Honor, if, of course, if they were tantamount to criminal proceedings were this Court to so hold, uh, the Sixth Amendment right to counsel may be invoked. The, that's not something that's being urged in this case. As a matter of fact, um, here particularly, we're talking about someone who has engaged counsel at their own expense and merely a fee shifting in those adversary adjudications where the government has been abusive.
2: Of course, the Sixth Amendment right to counsel is not a a right to have counsel paid for.
1: Well, I'm I'm talking about appointed counsel. Yes, Your Honor. Well, Your Honor, um, if, if I understood your earlier question correctly, you were suggesting that were these to be viewed as criminal proceedings, deportation proceedings, because they meet out consequences that may be as harsh or harsher In many criminal sanctions, what seems to follow is that perhaps a person, an indigent person, is entitled to appointed counsel under the Sixth Amendment, although the Artistani case doesn't specifically require this Court to address that. However, in in looking at the statutory scheme and in understanding what this statute means, it's, it's helpful to note that in the legislative history, There was a change in the Senate bill from subject to, the language urged by the service, to uh, under Section 554, and the joint explanatory statement of the Conference Committee, which may be particularly probative because it represents the views of both the House and Congress, stated that adversary adjudications were those, and I quote, are defined under the Administrative Procedures Act, where the agency takes a position through representation by counsel but it's probably a lot more instructive for this court to note that there were no discussions about whether or not different agencies different categories of agencies were to be within the scope of eja instead eja was a broad remedial statute and the discussions were about categories of proceedings those that were pardon me trial like versus those that are rule making or price fix or rate fixing. In addition to that, in order to get, to understand the meaning of, of the common preposition under in this particular instance, the EJA on its face recognizes the administrative conference of the United States as an authority on the EJA implementation. The EJA, pardon me, the ACES chairman is required to be consulted with
0: in order. We'll for resume there at one o'clock, Mr. Zeller.
1: Thank you, Your Honor.
0: We'll resume argument now in number 90 eleven forty-one Artistani against INS. Uh, Mr. Solway.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. More important than the rejection of the Senate language subject to that's been urged by the government, and perhaps more important than the joint explanatory statement of the conference committee that embraced the very use of the term that we urge here. The EJA recognizes the ACUS as an authority on the subject of the EJA, and there the the chairman stated that questions of EJA's coverage should turn on substance, the fact that a party has endured the burden and expense of a formal hearing rather than technicalities. This is particularly important because that's precisely what we're faced with here, a suggestion that a hypertechnical interpretation of the word under to defeat the, uh, the reach of the Aegis statute to those particularly in need of the statute is to be compared to the functional and more appropriate interpretation of as defined in. In other words, just a mere importation, a cross-reference of those terms. And for that reason, the burden should be on the government to show that the Congress intended not to have merely a cross-reference to import those definitional words, but the, the government really should have the burden to show that Congress intended to cover and protect people from all sorts of agency adjudications, but not those particularly in need of it in deportation proceedings. There's no dispute that the EJA statute applies to certain Social Security cases, those in which the government is represented by counsel. Have we held that? Uh, Your Honor, the um, practice – let me answer your question directly. I don't believe that question has ever been presented. It's been so clear um, on its face that uh, it's never been challenged. In those instances where Social Security uh, proceedings uh, have counsel representing the government uh, the EJA applies there have been fees award awarded, and there 's not been uh, a challenge and The government in this case hasn 't urged a, a different interpretation as a matter of fact, in the legislative history of the one thousand nine hundred and eighty five reenactment there 's a specific example used of application of the EJA statute in that explicit example the congress the, the legislative history states. In those instances, for example, social security proceedings, where the government is represented by counsel, then in those events, in those events, but but that's
3: that's in legislative history materials. There's there's nothing in the statutory language itself that answers the question whether social security hearings are covered. Is there?
1: Except for the interpretation and the the same reasoning that's urged in this case, Your Honour.
3: In other words, if they are under the APA or whatever it is then you argue that, by a parity of reasoning, the uh, deportation proceeding is also under.
1: Um, Mr. Justice Stevens, that's largely correct, but there's even more to the argument than that. In 1971, this case in the Richardson versus Perales case declined to decide the, the distinction whether or not Social Security proceedings are technically governed by the Administrative Procedure Act or instead, by the more specialized version of the APA, namely the Social Security Act. That, that arcane legal distinction's never been resolved. That debate has never been terminated. Yet, Congress clearly wasn't interested in whether or not Social Security proceedings were technically governed by that statute. Instead, they simply wished to, um, to categorize by types of proceedings rather than by agencies or by governing statutes.
4: Isn't there a a case in this court that says that uh, uh, INS proceedings are not under the APA? What is that, Morello or Marcello? Marcello?
1: Justice Weiss, the Marcello case was not an Egypt case, but there this court was called to look upon a divergence a unique divergence that existed 36 years ago between the Immigration Nationality Act and the APA. Mm -hmm. Only in the Immigration Act could one person have both adjudicatory and prosecutorial functions. And this court ruled that in those hearing provisions that differed from the APA's hearing provisions, that the, uh, the... INA proceeding. The INA provisions would would prevail.
4: Well, does was, uh, does uh, a, does a does a proceeding under the APA have any? What does it mean to say under the APA?
1: Your Honor, the the statute here says under section five five four. Is do I understand you correctly to be meaning under section five five four as opposed to? Yeah. Under, yes. Yes. Under Section 554, the definition of an adversary adjudication is defined under Section 554.
4: What what does under mean in your... uh,
1: uh, It merely means, uh, Your Honor, a cross-reference as as defined in that section, in accordance with that section. It merely is uh, a phrase used to transport, if you would, the, the definitional section with its exceptions, into the Aegis statute.
2: These hearings are not conducted in accordance with that section.
1: They they are, Your Honor. All of the the statutes are identical. There's the requirement that determinations be made on the record. There's the entitlement to personal appearance and reasonable notice. All of the the Section 554 elements, all of them, without exception, are in place in deportation hearings.
2: Ah. What about, what about the requirement that was at issue in uh, Marcello?
1: That's no longer um, a distinction. That distinction has evaporated. No longer is, do deportation adjudicative officers have prosecutorial functions. no longer exists. Were Marcello to be but the requirement,
2: the, 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 the issue is whether the requirement exists. You're just saying that voluntarily the government may be complying with it, but the fact is that the requirement that Marcello addressed does not exist. And if the requirement does not exist, then these things are not really under
1: 554. Uh, Justice Scalia, I respectfully disagree with you. If the analysis is going to look at what takes place, what are the rights of people in deportation proceedings, and are they different... Can they rely upon, are they, are they in some functional and meaningful way different than those hearings conducted under the technical governance of the APA? The answer has to be no. And the fact that um, the Marcello distinction has long since evaporated is an important fact.
3: How did the distinction, what, as I, as I remember, and I'm very vague on it, but this distinction only lasted for a couple of years, around 1950 or 52 when they allowed the INS the hearing officer to have investigative functions, what is it that terminated the INS hearing officer's ability to have this dual function,
1: um, a statute
3: or a practice? It was not a statute, Your Honor.
1: It was a regulation. I see. And there's been no need for a statute since that's been the longstanding practice for in, in deportation proceedings. Well, speaking of regulations,
4: uh, Congress has never uh, – Take an issue with the Department of Justice regulation on this matter.
1: Your Honor, if, if you're specifically referring to the 1985 reenactment, which has been raised by um, the service on this case, it's important to note that in 1984, before that reenactment, there were two circuit court of opinion decisions that looked at the terms under Section 554 and interpreted those to be to mean simply as defined in that section, namely requiring that a hearing be determined on the record and that government be represented by counsel. And while neither of those were deportation...
4: Yeah, but uh, uh, who is the officer? Uh, Is the the fee statute administered by the Department of Justice?
1: Yes, Your Honor. Well, in in the setting of deportation...
4: You don't say say that the Attorney General doesn't have authority to issue regulations under... The fee statute.
1: The fee statute itself states that the agencies may promulgate their rules after consultation Mm -hmm. with the ACUS chairman. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the ACUS chairman has taken a a position that's completely at odds with the interpretation reached by the Attorney General. That may be
4: be so, but but do you say that any regulation of the Attorney General under this statute is invalid? No, Just any?
1: No, no.
4: Uh, well, so he does have a regulatory authority. Your Honor, there... You, you say he's quite mistaken in this case, uh, but uh, Congress has never taken issue uh, with, uh, with the regulation.
1: Your Honor, um, while that's true, that Congress has not focused upon the Attorney General's regulation... If you think
4: they focused on the, on the two cases you mentioned, I would think... They focused on the issue and, uh, at the same time, didn't disturb the Attorney General's regulation?
1: Well, I suggest that it's just as plausible that Congress didn't look at either the Seventh Circuit or the Eighth Circuit's interpretation or this regulation. The issue of EJA fees being within the scope of deportation hearings has simply never been adjudicated, had never come up through the courts, the Escobar-Ruiz case and the Ninth Circuit came after the 1985 reenactment.
2: Do I understand your position correctly? That It seems to me what you're saying is that if an agency is conducting its proceedings, happens to be uh, in accordance with the requirements of Section 554, even though it's not obligated to, and even though it doesn't say, I am trying to conduct it pursuant to 554, if it just happens to be doing that, EJA applies.
1: No, Your Honor. The reason for that is that um, Section 554 requires, it states that the statute must mandate that a hearing be required on the record. And the mere fact that an agency might, in its discretion, allow uh, hearings to be determined uh, on the record would not place it within the ambit of the EJA.
3: No, but carrying Justice Scalia's question a bit further, if there were some statute, not part of APA, just in, in some one of statute at large in some isolated uh, part of the U.S. Code that said, Proceedings X shall be conducted in accordance with the procedural requirements of the APA, then you would say there was a, a an entitlement to fees, but, because then you would say that proceeding is an adjudicatory proceeding as defined in Section 554 of uh, Title V.
1: I think there could be no dispute that if the statute on its face used the more restrictive language than is even necessary, then yes, it, it would be uh, within the ambit of Egypt.
3: And so it wouldn't matter whether it was some third statute or if the uh, uh, INS statute itself require an adjudication to... to to fit the definition of 554, you would still say it's an adjudication as defined in 554 and therefore under 554 as you read the word
2: under.
1: That's correct, yes.
2: Uh, may, may I, uh, in, in your response to my question, I, I gather then that what you would say is if, if a statute requires a hearing to be on the record, any statute requires that there be an on-the-record hearing, and if the agency chooses, although it is not obliged, to conduct that on-the-record on hearing pursuant to 554. Then EJA applies.
1: No, Your Honor, I, I don't believe... If I understand well, then your Then I don't
2: rec- know how you reconcile Marcello, because that is exactly the situation we have here. We have a requirement of an on-the-record hearing. We have the Supreme Court holding that the agency is not obliged to comply with all the requirements of 554. But nonetheless, you tell us it is complying with all the requirements of 554, and therefore it's under 554. Isn't that what you're telling
1: us? Um, Justice Scalia, no, that's not what I'm urging upon this court. What I, t- I'd like uh, to try to make th- this more clear, if I may. The EGIS statute says that the hearing requ- must be required by statute to be determined on the record. That is the one that has to be specified in the statute because that's what EGIS says. However, the other aspects about... Uh, whether the adjudicative officer can be the, sa- the same person as the prosecutorial officer is, is simply not something that's, that upon which Egypt pivots.
3: The reason being that the hearing officer's capacity is not defined in 554. Isn't that
1: right? That's correct, Your Honor. That's exactly right. Entirely
3: different from ourselves.
1: Yes, Your Honor. In addition to the. Uh, the parallel between Social Security Act proceedings, which are uh, um, where it has not been determined to be under the APA. and
2: You're saying the Marcello requirement is not in 554 itself? That's, that's correct. What, what about D that, that, that says the employee presides at the reception of evidence, shall make the recommended decision, blah, 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 except to the extent required for the disposition of ex parte matters? such an employee may not, that is, the employee who, who, resu- who presides at the reception of evidence, may not be responsible to or subject to the supervision or direction of an employee or agent engaged in the performance of investigative or prosecu- prosecuting functions for an agency. Yes, Isn't sir. that the type of thing that was involved in Marcello? It is related it to marcelo in it that It is way. exactly what was involved in Marcello, and it is exactly within 554, isn't it?
1: But, Your Honor, it's not within the definitional part of Section 554. In other words, 554 also deals with um, the, the, the type of notice, the method of notice, things like that. Instead, the importance of 554 and the reference to 554 is merely to import the definition. The, reference- the
0: statute doesn't say under the definitional part of Section 554. It says under Section 554.
1: Well, yes, it does, Your Honor. That's correct. On the other hand, the, statute, the EGIS statute is using Section 554 only for a definition. There's, there's no reason in, either from the, the, the context of the statute or the legislative history or, or any other plausible reason to view those additional requirements. But even if you did, they're all met here. All of them are met. Marcello doesn't stand in the way here because the difference that had existed 36 years ago no longer exists and didn't exist in Mrs. Artistani's case. The entire panoply, the the full, all of Section 554, if you will, has been met in the deportation proceedings.
0: Uh, Not by the force of statute.
1: The the one that's been pointed out by Justice Scalia is by regulation. That's correct.
4: So, well, the, uh, the regulation might change and go back to the Marcello situation.
1: Even if that were the case, Justice White, you'd still have the requirements of Section 554, the definition that's in 554, mm-hmm. the requirement of a hearing on the record. That would still be met. In addition, the, the interpretation t- that's urged a, a meaningful functional definition that includes those most in need of the EJA, the ones that for which the EJA goals are most precisely in concert, that, that interpretation provides a bright line, an easy application for the courts, rather than require the courts to look to Richardson versus Perales' analyses or Marcello analyses, um, as, as has been discussed this afternoon. I'd like to reserve my time. If, if,
0: Very well, Mr. Sullivan. Mr. Wallace, we'll hear now from you.
5: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This is not a case in which the question presented is left unresolved by the statutory text that Congress enacted. The very purpose of a definition section in a statute is to delimit the scope of the operative terms that the definition section undertakes to define. Here, the operative term on which petitioner must rely in uh, Section 504A is adversary adjudication by the agency. And subsection B of the same Section 504 defines that term as an adjudication under Section 554 of the Administrative Procedure Act.
3: Mr. Wallace, can I ask you right there, if one were to agree, and I understand you don't agree with this, but the word under should be given the meaning as defined in, then would, would you win or lose?
5: I think that's a close question, be, um, uh, but I, uh, only because um, uh, procedures adopted by regulation now have brought um, the uh, administrative deportation proceedings closer and very close to what is uh, described in Section 554, but there has been no pertinent statutory change since um, Marcello against Bonds was decided in 1955. So as far as statutory requirements are concerned, uh, the same discrepancies occur in the the statutory obligations between what the Immigration and Nationality Act provide and uh, what uh, Section 554 provides. And our position is that EJA should not be interpreted, and there is no indication that EJA was intended uh, to deter agencies from uh, voluntarily adopting procedures that more closely conform to Section 554 uh, of the Administrative Procedure Act by imposing a cost on that kind of agency procedural reform by making EGIFIs kick in, and indeed the very authority that Petitioner uh, cites, the Administrative Conference of the United States came to that same conclusion uh, after receiving comments on their proposed model rule, and in issuing the final model rule at the page of the Federal Register we cite in our brief, Volume 46, page 32901, they say, quite specifically after discussing this problem of the possibility of deterrence, of uh, voluntary adoption of improved procedures, we have decided, therefore, to drop the provision of the draft rules, suggesting that awards will be available when agencies voluntarily use the procedures described in Section 554.
2: So uh, That seems like a good, a good answer. Uh, what do you do about the Social Security case? Um, the, uh,
5: the, in in uh, the um, 1985 reenactment of EJA, there was a reference in the legislative history, in the reports, to a procedure under the Social Security Act, which was a pilot program that has now been entirely discontinued As of 1987, we described that in some detail in in a footnote in our brief in Sullivan against Hudson in this court. That's number 88.616. Footnote 25 in that brief explains that after a district court decision called Falling against Bowen, criticizing the um, uh, adoption of this pilot program as unauthorized by statute and saying that the statute requires proceedings in which the Secretary is not represented and therefore wholly outside of the eja context. The um, uh, Secretary, as we explained, uh, at 52 Federal Register 17,286 um, uh, discontinued in 1987 that pilot program altogether. Now, apparently, uh, the committee thought that um, adjudications under that pilot program were governed by 554. That is that is not definitively resolved what the rationale was for the committee saying that it thought that such Social Security hearings would be covered, but that has become a moot point in light of the discontinuance. I'm not really troubled with the
2: legislative history part of it. I'm, I'm asking for your opinion on whether... and other Social Security proceedings are not at all covered. They are not at all covered.
4: And in the case we had uh, last term, Melconian was a court action, I take it, that which, is, is correct. which is different.
5: The, the, uh, the uh, question in this case is only the question of the scope of the authorization of the award of fees for administrative adversary adjudications defined uh, uh, as uh, adjudications under Section 554. So we um, have explained um, in detail um, in footnote 12 of our brief that throughout Section 504, the indisputable repeated usage of the word under in conjunction with another section of, of the United States Code or another provision of law, the indisputable usage is uh, that it means governed by that provision or subject to that provision. Well, if it
3: means that, then the Social Security Act, uh, there should be no fees under uh, Social
5: Security Act. Well, that was a question left open in this I mean, court if your decision. argument is consistent,
3: that's the l- result it would lead to, it?
5: Well, we don't know whether this now discontinued procedure was subject to Section 554 or not. This Court's decision in Richardson against Perales left that question open, and it it had never been definitively determined. And there will not be an occasion now to determine it because the program is discontinued. So... um, we don't know uh, whether that was correct. But you're saying if a statute identi- uh,
3: uh, enacts the precisely identical procedures to those set forth in, in the Administrative Procedure Act, that the, then fees would not apply, say it would enact a new statute, in nuclear regulatory regular agency or something or other, that that would not be apply unless the statute in so many words said that these procedures and these proceedings are governed by the APA, Well, enacting parallel procedures would not... not,
5: Parallel procedures would not do it, but they would not preclude the possibility that uh, Section 554 would also apply. Um, uh, 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 They might, by implication, be construed to exclude the separate application of Section 554, but that would be a question to be litigated.
2: You have precisely that problem with the National Labor Relations Act, don't you? Uh, many of the board proceedings are governed by the NLRA, which uh, predated the uh, the APA and, and tracks it uh, to some extent. And you would say that they are under, are those proceedings under or not? I can't say that I've looked into that
5: precise question uh, in connection with, with uh, this case. But I think, I think the statutory criterion for the award of fees is very clear. Um, it, it, they are available for adjudications that are governed by uh, uh, Section 554 of the Administrative Procedure Act.
3: Well, it's very clear if you read the word under to mean governed by, it's very fuzzy if you read the word under to mean as defined in.
5: Well, it, uh, that um, there are barriers to reading it that way, Mr. Justice, uh, and we think they are uh, insuperable barriers. I mentioned one of them to you already, that throughout that section, uh, 554, the word under, when used in conjunction with uh, a, a statutory provision, and we collected these on, uh, in note 12 of our brief, uh, page 14, we collected all, uh, many examples of this. Uh, indisputably, they they have to mean governed by, subject to, uh, and the contention would be that this one and this one alone is different. And. Uh, Indeed, but is, but couldn't one counter with the
3: argument that why would Congress single out this small category of agency proceedings for different treatment from all others when the equities would seem to be the same and the purpose of the statute would seem to apply?
5: Well, the equities and may without
3: saying a word about it. The,
5: the, the, um, the equities may not be the same. I mean, there are there if Congress were to give specific attention to the question of administrative deportation proceedings, and I don't want to belittle the utility of counsel in such proceedings, but Congress might well come to the conclusion that applying EJA to these proceedings would not be the best way to address this problem. There are... Uh, more than 100,000 such proceedings conducted each year uh, by the 92 immigration judges of the INS. And in the vast majority of these proceedings, um, everyone I've talked with there estimates that it's upwards of 90%, um, the question of deportability is either conceded by the alien or very quickly resolved against the alien, and the, uh, the whole issue becomes a claim by the alien for political asylum uh, or for uh, um, to me suspension
3: of deportation. To me what you're saying is that the cases in which the government's position would not be
5: substantially justified are a very, sm- very small number of the total well, Congress might conclude that because these all are, are a matter that involve discretion, on the part of the government, and they're all matters on which the burden of proof has shifted to the alien, that there would be very few cases in which the government's position could fairly be said not to be substantially justified. That doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a lot of litigation about that and a lot of courts awarding fees, but Congress could conclude that this isn't really the tool uh, that's a, and it might also be concerned that the exercise of that discretion in favor of aliens in these proceedings might be deterred if it could uh, become a drain on the agency's budget through the award of well, attorneys. The, they
3: budget about hundred times as much money for this, this statute as they've actually spent.
5: Well, it, it's true that the, the costs have not reached the initial estimates they failed that were by, made by, when by it, 99%.
3: That,
5: that, that is correct. But there are reasons why, if Congress gave attention to this question, it might conclude that there are better and more effective ways of meeting a need for the provision of counsel in these proceedings than by applying EGA and that EJA might not be well-suited to it. Uh, that is uh, a matter that Congress simply has not addressed. And uh, I have not yet mentioned another barrier which we think is a very strong barrier to the alternative interpretation that Petitioner uh, espouses and that you have uh, uh, queried about. And that is that we are dealing here with a waiver of sovereign immunity. And um, Uh, those must be strictly construed in the first place, and that in this context really fairly precludes departure from the ordinary meaning of the word under section 554 to a more expansive, unusual meaning of uh, the words under section 554, and they must, and waivers of sovereign immunity must be expressed rather than applied, which it seems to us fairly precludes analogy. How about the Irwin decision last year? Well, the Irwin decision was one in which Congress had clearly subjected the category of, of uh, uh, cases. Uh, to uh, a waiver of sovereign immunity, and the only question was whether the ordinary rules of the road for waivers of
4: sovereign immunity, the, or, the usual so tolling
5: the, uh, rules of the road would apply.
4: So you think the uh, narrow reading of uh, waivers, is, that, that rule is still in place?
5: Well, this court has repeatedly referred to it, um, and has referred to it uh, um, approvingly in analogous contexts, because um, ultimately it it, um, is a a rule that assures against uh, intrusion by the courts into the legislative function of determining what claims on the public fisc should be honored and what claims uh, should not. Of course, an argument can be made that this would be a worthwhile use of public funds, but there are many requests for arguably worthwhile uses of public funds, and Congress has to determine how to apportion the limited resources that are available. And um, in at least two decisions of last term that come to mind, United States against Down and OPM against Richmond, uh, the Court uh, emphasized that uh, this is the essence of the legislative function under our constitutional system. And in any event, it was the well-established principle at the time Congress was drafting EJA, and um, uh, that uh, established the rules of statutory draftsmanship under which uh, Congress put together this text, with its definition section specifying the proceedings for which uh, fee shifting would be available. Uh, and so um, uh, that is uh, the proper way uh, to read the statutory text, and it was equally well established at the time this statute was drafted by this Court's 1955 decision in Marcello against Bonds uh, that administrative deportation proceedings are not Proceedings governed by Section 554 of the Administrative Procedure Act. Um, so we have also collected in our brief, in footnote 26, on pages 28 and 29, some examples of the many uncertainties that would be opened up uh, if, instead of the terms of the waiver of sovereign immunity that Congress used, being the criterion, uh, a more elastic criterion of procedures functionally, functionally similar uh, to Section 554 procedures were to be adopted, um,
2: this would. I would start reading your footnotes if, if, you're, if they're important enough to bring up <laughs> <little>
5: argument. <laughs> well, <laughs> we have not yet refrained from writing footnotes, <laughs> although I, I, I don't take issue with those who have. Um, so uh, that is. Uh, uh, <laughs> Well, uh, some opinions of this court are now coming out without footnotes, and and they're a pleasure to read. Um, um, In any event, uh, (laughs) thanks very much. (laughs) Some of the footnotes are also a pleasure to read. So, in essence, our position is that the terms of Ege's waiver of sovereign immunity govern here. It happens that there's also another barrier to recovery uh, in administrative deportation proceedings, and that is uh, that... um, uh, a holding to that effect would require construing uh, EGA to repeal by implication uh, uh, Section 1362 of Title 8. Uh, this is, to us, illustrative of the difficulties that are encountered by straying beyond the terms of the waiver of sovereign immunity that Congress utilized. If there are no further questions.
0: Case. Thank you, Mr. Wallace. Uh, Mr. Soloway, you have a minute remaining.
1: Thank you. I respectfully disagree with the interpretation of the ACUS exemption or discussion about voluntary compliance. I read from the Federal Register, Congress has provided that private parties in disputes with the Federal Government are entitled to hearings as of right. In others, for whatever reasons, it has been determined that hearings may be provided at the discretion of the government. On reflection, we have concluded that it is more consistent with the purposes of the legislation not to cover proceedings of the latter type than to include them. We have decided, therefore, to drop the provision of the draft rules suggesting that awards be available when agencies voluntarily comply with the procedures described in Section 554. That That reference to voluntary acceptance of procedures precisely deals with the requirement of hearings being required to be on the record. In addition to that, I wish to bring to this Court's attention that uh, there's been no suggestion of why an agency
0: uh, adjudication... Your time has expired, Mr. Soloway. The case is submitted.
1: Thank you, Your Honor.